I have an announcement to make, and I, uh, I encourage you not to cheer or celebrate after this announcement. Um, I think I have a short sermon this morning. Uh, yes, yes, uh, and, uh, but, but here's the deal. I've got a lot of stuff that I left on the cutting room floor, and uh, I've decided that uh, I will increase it by five minutes for every one of you I see sleeping. That's, 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 that's the plan. That's the plan so far. So uh, it's really up, up to you this morning how long we get to, to be in the Word of God, uh, but it's going to be good. Uh, we're going to gather around and hear the Word of God this morning. We've been reading for, for several weeks through the book of James. And so far in our reading of James, we've observed that James addresses a host of issues in the early Jewish church. And these were primarily Jews who put their, their faith in Jesus and we're now living dispersed amongst the old world. And James has written to these Jewish Christians about a, about a host of issues. Uh, he started by encouraging them in the midst of trials. If you remember several weeks back, we read together that, that famous verse from James that we're to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And these were people who, who would have had some real serious persecutions in their life. They would have been persecuted for what they would have believed in Jesus, and so they would have known real trials. Next, James transitioned into a, a section where he stressed the importance of not just what Christians believed, but also how Christians behaved. James said that the kind of lives that, that you and I live, our actions matter. And when we read that together, it was definitely convicting for us. James began to kind of address kind of a, a string of pearls of different wisdom issues. If you remember this, he talked about our ability to control our tongues. He talked about what is true wisdom. And last week as we read James together, we, we learned why people fight. This week we're going to again pivot to another issue which is of grave importance and James saw in the first century church. And the issue that we're going to talk about today is this idea of the lordship of our schedules. Isn't that an interesting idea? The lordship of our schedules. You see, last week we had this discussion about who sits on the throne of your heart. You remember that discussion about, about envisioning that there was a throne on your heart and that your passions were battling Jesus for who's going to lead and who rules your life. The funny thing is that most of us at some level want to be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we do want to follow his ways. I think that a lot of us believe that our life would be better if we lived like that. But we're always enticed by other passions, by success, by, by money, by pleasure, by arrogance. And there's always an internal battle inside of us. And this week, James is going to get very specific about that internal battle. And he's asking about your calendar. When it comes to your calendar, is Christ Lord? This may seem like a, a funny and like an overly specific question for you, uh, but Scripture is clear. The way that we plan our days can actually keep us from doing the will of God. And, and, and I'm warning you, this is about to get really personal for you. Uh, you may think I'm picking on you or the way that, that your family lives, and, and I'm not... Um, I promise you that I had no one in mind when I wrote this sermon. This is one of those sermons that when I'm done and I'm standing in the back shaking hands, everyone's going to be giving me excuses. 
This is what happens. They're like, I know we need to do better to come to church, but you know we love our bulldogs. I wasn't thinking about you. My job today is to read scripture with you. That's what it is. And to explain its relevance in your life. But the word of God is about to start meddling in your business. But really, because God is jealous for you. He, he is. He's jealous for you. Uh, he wants to reign and to rule in all areas of your life, and that includes your calendar. Have you ever considered that, that your schedule might be sinful? I'm not suggesting that you've somehow filled your life with a series of really sinful activities. I don't know. Maybe you have. Uh, that, but that's not my point. I'm suggesting that many of us have have ordered our lives according to the demands and the pressures of this world and somehow our schedules have become so oppressive, so busy, so exhausting that there simply is no room for Jesus to be Lord of our life. There, there just simply, there simply isn't time for it. Last week again we asked, who sits on the throne of your heart? Who determines your behavior? Who orders your days and, and many of you thought to yourself, well, Jesus does. He's the Lord of my life. Jesus orders my days. And I want to suggest to you that you might just be the kind of person who really wants Jesus to be the Lord of your life. However, you just don't have time for it because of all the other lords that you're already serving. This is what much of what James is going to be discussing in our text this week. Uh, let's read together scripture this morning. We're going to be reading a small section compared to what we normally read. We're going to be reading James 4, 13 through 17. And it is our tradition that as we read, we stand for reverence of God's word. So I want to invite you, if you're capable, to do so. Before we uh, read scripture together, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we do humbly come to your word. We, we're still and we're quiet before it. We have reverence of it because, God, we know that it, it comes from you. We want to know you. We want to be obedient to you. We want to worship you. And we know that, that we worship you by, by hearing your word well and by doing it in our lives. And so God, allow us to do those two things. Allow us to hear this word today. And allow us to do it in our lives. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, church, you're now the word of the Lord beginning in the 13th verse of chapter 4 of the book of James. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, 
The context in the scripture that we just read together is this, that James is, is talking primarily to Jewish Christian merchants. They were, they, they were these businessmen that at one point had, had put their trust uh, in, in Jesus. Uh, however, while they professed Jesus as Lord with their mouths, their schedule said otherwise. They, they would kind of sit down at the beginning of the week or the month of the year, and they would have a map in one hand, and they would have a calendar in their other hand, and they would sit down, and they would figure out exactly how they could travel the countryside in order to maximize their profits. Let's look exactly at what, at what James says in verse 13. If we could put that up on the screen, verse 13. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. The idea in this text is that James is accusing these people of letting money or, or profit decide how they live their lives. These guys probably can make more money by skipping worship and, and they can make more money by traveling on the Sabbath day. Uh, and, and then that's probably what they were going to do, skip the Sabbath. Because even though on the one hand God had demanded that they honor the Sabbath, the real Lord of their life required that they work and travel. According to this, your calendar can reveal who is the true Lord of your life. So, so what's the big deal? Why is, why is being really busy bad? Or why is being busy uh, on the Sabbath bad? So let me take those two questions uh, one at a time. What is bad about being too busy? Let's start there. How, how does being too busy affect your life? Let me, let me share with you a little social experiment. It goes back to 1973. A guy by the name of, of John Darley and a, and a man by the name of Daniel Batson, they were two Princeton University psychologists, and they were going to conduct a social experiment. They called it the Good Samaritan Experiment, okay? And, and it was based on the, the biblical story of the Good Samaritan. And, and let me just review that. I know most of us here know what the Good Samaritan is, is about. It, it began with a, a man who was robbed and assaulted. He was clearly left for dead on the side of the road. And then a series of people passed this man by, if you remember the story, uh, without stopping to, to really offer any help at all. In the story, a, a priest comes by, and, and he passes by this man who's been beat up and left for dead. And, and he moves to the other side of the road and passes by, offers no aid at all. And then we hear that a Levite comes by, and he offers no aid at all. And then in a shocking conclusion to this story, a Samaritan comes by, a second-class citizen, someone who is racially hated and despised. And, and the Samaritan takes this man who's been abused and, and beat up, and he puts him on his own donkey, and he takes him to the inn, and he pays the innkeeper to nurse this man back to health. And Jesus ends this parable by asking the audience, Who's, who is a true neighbor? And the expert of the law that was there with Jesus said, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus says, well, well then go and do likewise. So that's the, that's the story that inspired this little social experiment at Princeton. So let's find out how this social experiment worked. It was, like I said, 1973. These two men, Darley and Batson, they met with a, a group of Princeton Theological Seminary students. 
And what they did is they asked half of the students that they met with to prepare a short talk on employment opportunities after graduation. So, so pretty boring stuff, right? Here, here's, you know, I want you guys get in this room and each one of you is going to have to give a lecture in a second. And I want y'all to talk about employment opportunities after graduation. And he took the other half of the students and he, he said, I, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to prepare a lecture for, for some other students on, on the Good Samaritan. So, so they give half the class one responsibility and half the class the other assignment. And the students were told that, that they, would need to, they would need to walk across the campus to another building in order to present uh, this lecture to a, another set of students. And then what happens is a, is a significant variable was then introduced to this experiment. Uh, some of these presenters were told, hey, you're already late. Why aren't you over there already? Everyone's waiting for you. What have you been doing? And, and they sent them to hurry across campus. Meanwhile, the other students were told, uh, listen, go ahead, take your time, head over to the other building. You're probably going to be up later this afternoon. So when they left to go across the campus, they were in no hurry, right? So, so that we understand what's going on here, let's just review. There's two sets of variables in this social experiment. The first variable is what they're talking about. Half is talking about jobs after graduation. Half is talking about the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. The other variable is time. Half of this group is sent over there, and they're in a hurry. They're already running late. And the other half of the group is sent to kind of make their own way over there. They're in no perceived hurry. They've got hours before they're going to be up to talk. So the experiment begins. Here's what happens. These researchers had strategically placed a man on campus who appeared to have been mugged, right? He was crouched over. He was disheveled. His wallet was on the ground in front of him, and he was moaning in pain. And as each student made their way across campus, they would encounter this man who was slumped in an alley, and he was, he was in desperate need of assistance. And the purpose of the experiment was to find out this. Who would stop and help? Who would not stop and help? And why did they not stop and help? What was the reason they did? Uh, so, so one would assume, given the fact that these were all seminary students preparing to be pastors, that they would all be full of mercy and that they all would have stopped. But, but right, we would assume the exact same thing about the priest and the Levite in the original Good Samaritan story, right? The results were stunning. And they were largely governed by one mitigating factor. You want to guess what it was? Their schedule, time. That's right. Whether or not they were in a hurry to get across campus. Do you know what did not make a difference? There was very little difference noticed between those who were about to go and give a speech on the Good Samaritan. Can you believe that? Uh, it, it didn't even matter, which is crazy. These people were about to go speak about this Good Samaritan story. You think that they would have noticed a man bent over, bleeding on the side of the road and thought, maybe I should do something to help. But it didn't really matter. The only variable that seemed to matter in this study at all was a student's perspective of their schedule. Of the students who were told they were running late, get this, only 10% of them stopped to help this man. However, those who were told they had plenty of time 63% of those students 
stopped and helped. That's a huge difference. And so I'll go back to that question we asked. Why is being so busy bad? Because when you're so busy, when your calendar is so full, you just don't have time for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Jesus might be in your heart saying, hey, listen, you need to pull over and stop and help. But your calendar is telling Jesus, Tyson doesn't have time to stop. Tyson has work to do. So here's a question to ponder. Does Jesus have full authority as the Lord of your life to completely ruin your calendar? Does he? That's probably an important question. What happens when the commands of Jesus conflict with your busy schedule? Let's continue reading in James. Uh, Let's look at at verse 14. This is what James says to, to these merchants. He says, Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for just a little time and then it vanishes. James is imploring Christians to let Jesus be the ruler of their calendar and their future. And James makes two critical points. The first is, you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. right? Like, like None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can make all the plans we want ourselves, but only the Lord knows what tomorrow will hold. The stock market might crash. It might raise. I don't know what to do. I got my phone out, and I, I said, put it all in bonds, Siri. And, and then I said, no, cancel that. It's going to come back up. I have no idea what the stock market's going to do. You might lose your job. You might be in a car accident. God might call you to something that you've never imagined The whole point is that you don't know what tomorrow holds. The second point that that James makes is that this, that that your life is like a mist, a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. And and King David seemed to always have a great grasp of this idea of of how quick life passed us by. He he wrote about it a lot in the Psalms, like, like Psalm 102, where David says, my days are like an an evening shadow. That's a, that's a great illustration. It's how quick an evening shadow fades away. A little later in the same psalm, David writes that, that my days pass away like smoke. In Psalm 39, he says it this way. He says, you've, you've made my days like a few hands breath. Like the time it takes for your breath to cross your hands. You know, you know the kind of vapor that comes from your mouth on a cold morning when you, when you walk out, your breath is visible, it's visible, but, but only for a moment, and, and then it's just, it, it vanishes. James suggests this is one of the reasons we need to surrender our calendar to the Lord because we don't know what tomorrow brings and because our life is as short as a vapor. Let's continue on to verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. For James, the importance was always to be seeking the Lord's will in the way that we use our time and to realize we are always subject to the sovereign hand of God. Uh, Paul would write his letters in a manner he would often say, uh, or he would write to Ephesians and say this. He he said this, I I will return to you if God wills. And when he wrote to, to the Corinthians, he said, 
I will come to you soon if the Lord will. So Paul kind of understood this desire to write that way. He didn't always write that way. Sometimes he'd say, I'm coming to see you. But there were times in which he, he did understand that. And I have to admit that at times it does seem to me a bit trivial, the need to say, God willing, every time we talk about something that's going to happen in the future, uh, you know, if you say, I'll, I'll be there at five, you know, God willing, you know, I mean, it seems sometimes trivial to have to add that, like, like we're adding Christianese. Uh, I think it's one thing to hold that in our heart, but the need to say it all the time. But I can also see its value. I can see that if you begin to look at your life in such a way where you're constantly in prayer about how God would have you spend your time, you might, just, you might start to say things like this. Because it would be the natural refrain of a heart that, that is not governed by its calendar. If you're governed by your calendar, you say, I have to be there at 8.30 or I'm late and I can't ever be late. But if you're governed by the Lord, you say, I'm gonna do my best to be there at 8.30. But if the Lord calls me to do something on the way, if I come across a man in need, I'm, I'm probably not gonna be there on time. James says in, in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And such boasting is evil. The idea that claiming that you have the power to keep up with the schedule that you have set is in itself foolish because you cannot control anything. And in a sense, when you're trying to control all the time in your life, you are being arrogant. James ends today's reading by saying this in verse 17, that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. It's like those students who were, who were studying and, and preparing to speak about the Good Samaritan. They knew the right thing to do, right? They, I mean, it was fresh on their lips. They were about to go have a, have a lesson on it. They were going to go teach it. Yet they were in too much of a hurry to stop. They knew the right thing to do, just too busy. James says that is sin. Now, I don't think that, that you're going to often run across men who have been mugged. I don't, I don't think that's going to be an everyday thing in your life. But if you do, you are without excuse to stop. When people are broken down on the side of the road, when the Spirit of God calls you to visit someone who is ill, or when you feel convicted to share your faith, you know the right thing to do. Whether you do that or not is a matter of sin. You know the call of God is, is to honor the Sabbath in your life, but, but I understand a lot of you tell me uh, I can't because I have a jam-packed calendar with activities. Well, you're, just too, you're just too busy to honor the Sabbath. And I would remind you that Scripture says that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me conclude by saying this. Not all of us feel like we can control our calendar. More often, we feel like our calendar is, is kind of controlling us. We're on a busy ride, and we, and we don't know how to make it stop. I, I don't know how many of you feel like that. I get that. I, I know the feeling in my family, we're not above it um, to be so busy and, and, and not to know how to, to make it all stop between everything that happens at church and, and, and taking kids to all their different activities. And, and Cammie, my wife, being in nursing school, it just feels like we go, we go, we go, we go, we go. But I want to remind you of this. As God's people, we are called to be different. 
We are not called to live as everyone else lives. We are called to redeem the time for the days are evil. We are called to glorify God in all things. The logic of that Princeton experiment is this. It doesn't matter what you tend to know about God. You could be on your way to lecture about the Good Samaritan, but if you feel that you're too busy, you're not gonna stop and be led by the Holy Spirit to be the hands and the feet of Christ. The question to ponder today is this. Are you too busy to stop and address issues of compassion? Are you too busy to spend time with the Lord today? Are you too busy to ensure that your family keeps the Sabbath holy? Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I encourage you today to evaluate your schedule and to consider if it brings honor to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I, can, I confess to you that so many things battle for the throne in my heart. So many things battle you for lordship. And God, so many things the world tells me are important. I want to push aside um, my ability to have you rule in my life. God, I, I repent and my friends repent. We, we stand before you as a church who repents for, for making so many things uh, so important, so busy in our lives that we are not able to respond when your spirit calls. God, forgive us for the days in which we do not honor the Sabbath, the days in which we sleep in, the days in which we uh, do things to get caught up instead of resting in you. Father, may you bring conviction about that. May you bring repentance in our heart. May you give us your forgiveness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and the church said, Amen.